you're able to, uh, stand and uh, with me. We're going to read the text for today. So we're in 2 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 11. 2 Corinthians 12, starting at verse 11. I have been a fool, you forced me to it, for I ought to have commended you, for I was not inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what you were less favored, I'm sorry, for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here, for the third time, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I did not burden you, I was crafty. You say, I got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you and I may have to mourn over those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of impurity and sexual, sexual morality and sensuality that they have practiced. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love and your mercy. And uh, I pray, God, that you would give us um, kindness and mercy and grace as we look into your word today and that you would help me um, explain it clearly and that it would be easy to understand. And I pray for all of us that as we look at it, that you would make it... Uh, a sweet gospel message for us, that as we see the ways that we can interact with people, the ways that we can interact with each other, that we would strive to have those things in our lives, and that uh, by, by having those things in our lives, God, that you would get glory, and that the church would be edified, and that um, many more people would enter the kingdom of Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, just a, a couple announcements for you. Um, as your as your turn and first uh, if you're watching on YouTube um, Facebook's not working so if you're trying to watch on Facebook it's not working I think that we're getting oh it's working now so all you people that that are on YouTube that really like Facebook it's working so have at it all right um, the second thing is uh, the members meeting that was scheduled for today September the 5th 6th 6th it's been moved it's been moved to the end of the month I sent a video out hopefully you saw it but September the 27th, that's uh, instead of the first Sunday, it's the last Sunday of the month. So it'll be September the 27th, 6.30, right here in this room. We'll provide a Zoom link if you want to watch online. Uh, but uh, September the 27th, it will not be today. If you come today, there will not be a members meeting going on here. There'll be some fantasy football drafts going on, I'm sure. But there will not be a members meeting. Um, the next thing is, for all of you that really, really love church, um, we're going to have second service outside. So if you want to stay and sing some more and, and hear the same sermon twice, 
um, that's always great, then come join us outside. For you that are watching online and you want to be a part of the ecclesia, the actual gathering, and take the Lord's Supper, then w- stop watching and come here at 1115. All right? So uh, 1115, second service today. Uh, other than that, um, if you are interested, this is for all parents. Uh, if you are interested in uh, the kids' play that we do, the Christmas play that we do every year, I just want you to email info at remedychurch.org. That's the easiest way. We're going to have some sign-ups and all that kind of stuff. I'll get you that information uh, on when it'll all look. But email info at remedychurch.org, and I'll tell you how that's going to look for this year. We're still going to try to have that. My daughter, JC, wrote the play several years ago. She keeps making adjustments. She's super excited about it. Um, so we're going to do the Christmas kids' play again. Um, and... We'll figure out how to do it with COVID. Maybe there's a, a, a shot by then. Who knows? Um, so anyway, uh, back to the sermon. So in, as Paul's ending uh, 2 Corinthians, as we've said, the, the outline of 2 Corinthians, it's a really big, really big kind of three different parts. Chapters 1 through 7 is where Paul's defending his apostolic uh, position, where he's trying to help them understand that uh, they need to be reconciled. They had sinned against him because the false apostles had come into Corinth. The Corinthians had believed the false apostles, and there was really needing some reconciling that needed to happen. That's chapters 1 through 7. Of course, he unpacks the gospel in chapter, chapter 5. Um, whenever you get to 8 and 9, he's talking to them about the need for uh, the church in Jerusalem, which is really far away. And, of course, the people in Corinth are Gentiles, and he's warning the Gentiles who have a little bit more wealth to give the money to Paul so he can take it to the, the Jewish, Jewish people that are in Jerusalem and help them. They're super poor and they need help. Um, and he holds out the region in Macedonia, the churches in Macedonia, as an example to the church in Corinth. And the Macedonians are much more poor than the Corinthians. And he said, look at what they did. Don't you want to join in this and help? So when he gets to chapter 10, he starts doing his closing arguments, his closing challenges, etc. Still talking about the fact that that he was an apostle and that they should believe in his apostolic, um, apostolic position, etc. So that's what we've been doing. And as we've been looking at 11 and 12, he's kind of been doing this, this crazy, as he calls it, uh, foolish boasting. Whereas it's crazy that I'm doing this. I shouldn't even have to do this. And that's where he's, he's uh, picking up here in verse 11. And if you see, I have been a fool, you forced me to do it. So um, the Corinthians ought not to have forced Paul to defending himself. Instead, they should have uh, been commending Paul for the work that he had done for planting the church in Corinth. I mean, he is basically their spiritual father. Um, This is the point that he's trying to make uh, whenever he's saying uh, in verse 14, for children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So Paul's basically their their spiritual father, and they should respect him and and treat him as as their spiritual father. Now, the section that we're going to look at, it's a little bit complicated in trying to um, understand. But what I've done is, if you, there's not going to be any slides on the screen because it's, it was a little more complicated than normal. But if you go to remedychurch.org slash worship, the whole outline's on there. Um, but there's five points, basically. And as, you, as you're looking at it, uh, here's what I want you to, the way I want you to think about it. Um, in this text, Paul's going to tell us that in all of your life, day to day, not just Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, you f- will find yourself in groupings of environments of people. Like you're going to find yourself on Sunday, you're, you're with your church folk. On Monday, you're with your work people. On 
for me, Wednesday night, you're with your community group people, and maybe another night, you're by yourself sometimes, you're with the Lord as you do your Bible study, uh, you're, with, you're with different groupings of people throughout life, every day. Um, and so, in this particular text, he's going to acknowledge that there's at least five different kinds of groupings of people that you're with. And when you're with those five different groupings of people, um, what is the correct mindset? What is the correct temperament? What is the correct goal that you should have when you're with those people? What, what is it that you, that you should um, live your life and conduct yourself whenever you're around them? That's what we're going to look at here as we're looking at this. So um, he's going to talk about these kind of five different groupings of people and how you should conduct themselves day to day when you're around those. Um, and so he, as he's doing that, first he's going to talk about himself. And so if you look at, verses 11, at verse 11 and then verse 13 through 16, uh, this is where he's given the first kind of environment or first group. Again, the entire outline, which is kind of complicated, the entire outline is at remedychurch.org slash worship. You can see one, two, three, four, five, and how it each looks. But the first group or the first um, grouping is self. It's just when you're by yourself. Day to day, every day, you're going to be by yourself. As you're going through life, how should you think about yourself? What's the correct temperament or the correct goal of how you should live your life? And you're going to see that in verse 11 and verse 13 through 16. Verse 11, I've been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought not have committed you, um, for I was not superior to these superior apostles, even though I am nothing. So he acknowledges who he is and has a correct understanding of who he is. Even though I'm nothing, verse 13 through 16, he says, for in what you were less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you, forgive me this wrong. Of course, he's being super sarcastic when he says, forgive me this wrong. Verse 14, for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, and I will not seek what is yours, but you uh, for children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you uh, more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty. Uh, you say I got the better of you by deceit, etc. So there it is. Um, so what we're going to see here is in those particular verses, the first kind of grouping environment is self. So you and I, all the time throughout the week, we're by ourselves at some points, or whenever we are thinking in our own head as we're interacting with people, we, we have an idea of what is the appropriate Christ-honoring, God-given temperament, mindset, goal that I should be living in. And it tells us in verse 11, 13 through 16, if you took all those verses and you made a summation of how does Christ want me to live, me, it's sacrificial. So as you, it's not going to be on the screen. So as you look at uh, there, the appropriate grouping is self, and the way that we're supposed to live as we think about ourselves is sacrificial. And so Paul illustrates it or helps us understand what that self-sacrificial mindset is supposed to look like with these particular texts. If you look at verse 11, the last three words of verse 11 where he says it, I am nothing. I am nothing. So if we're going to be sacrificial, then we, we will be most sacrificial whenever we view ourselves really as nothing. If we think that we're awesome, we won't be sacrificial. We'll expect everybody to sacrifice for us, but that's not what Christ wants us to do. He wants us to have an appropriate view of ourselves. The correct view that all Christians should have of themselves is this. As Paul says, I am the least of all the saints. Uh, we realize that before God, 
we are nothing before a holy God. And the key is that the false apostles in this particular uh, uh, section that we're reading did not think of themselves as nothing. They thought themselves as great. And so that's what's going on. And so uh, Paul is wanting to um, contrast himself from these super apostles and help them see, I am nothing. And this is the mindset that you should conduct your life with. Well, one commentator, Garland, says this. The difference is, talking about Paul and the super apostles, the difference is they did not recognize that they are nothing before God. And so they strut around like preening peacocks as if they were the kingpins of the kingdom. Um, they didn't realize that Jesus is the king of the kingdom. We are not. And so the appropriate mindset that Paul says that we should have and God says is uh, that we should, we should realize that we are nothing. Now, of course, when you hear that, uh, you can swing the pendulum all the way over to one side and say, I'm garbage and trash and I'm really nothing and, and, and not also realize that you're made in the image of God and you're a child of God and you're a son and daughter of the king, etc. So keep everything into correct balance, but uh, don't be like the Corinthians and think that uh, everybody should sacrifice for me. The point is that we should be sacrificial. Another illustration of, sacri of sacrifice is from verse 13, 14, and 16, where Paul continually says that he didn't want to be a burden. So if you look at verse 13, for in what way, I'm sorry, for in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches except that I myself did not burden you? And then sarcastically, forgive me this wrong. So the false apostles had come in, and as they were working, they were like, oh, we're, we're giving you this great message. You need to pay us. Uh, you, need to, you need to be financially uh, giving to us. Paul's like, no, I don't want any money from you. I want to give you the gospel, and that's it. Now, it's not to say that those that plant churches uh, can't be financially remunerated, enumerated, whatever the word is, um, given money from the church. But Paul's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want... I want to give it to you for free. I'm not going to be a burden whatsoever. And so he says that again in 14. Um, here for the third time, ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden. I will, so he, he over and over is wanting to help us see that while he was there, he was not going to burden them financially. So that's sacrificial, which means um, as we're th still thinking about self and the correct mindset is sacrificial, if we're also going to realize that we're nothing, the second thing is that when possible, when possible, choose not to be a burden for others. When possible. Now listen, you, you still are a part of a family. And if you have needs, then you should tell your church family your needs so they can bless you and love you and take care of you. But at the same, same time, Paul took nothing like them, unlike the false apostles. And when he didn't take their money... This is unbelievable. When Paul didn't take their money, the false apostle said, you know why Paul's not taking your money? It's because he doesn't love you. That's just unbelievable, the way that the false apostles down-talked Paul. This is not true at all. Um, and so uh, Paul instead was just trying to not be a burden to them and wanted to sacrifice. He was willing to sacrifice his own self-comfort and his own money financially in order to reach them and be a spiritual father. This is the point of when he says... Um, as I read before, the fathers don't make their children save up for them. The, the parents save up for their, for their children. That's the whole point. I'm your spiritual dad. I don't need you to pay for me. I can pay for you. You know, if we're going to go out to eat, I'm going to buy your dinner. You're not going to buy my dinner, child. That's the, basically the point that he's trying to make. Um, so he's not wanting to be a burden. Now, 
that brings us to the next part of sacrifice, which is really, I think one of the, these, these next couple are really important for us as we think about how, in our mindset, we're supposed to operate with this mindset of sacrifice uh, and that we, we really care about people. Look at verse 14b. I will not be a burden for you, and here it is, for, I will not be a burden for, I seek not what is yours, but you. I don't want your stuff. I want you. I'm not interested in the things that you can give me. I, w- I want your heart. So seek people, not their stuff. Seek people, not their stuff. Paul didn't want their money. He wanted their hearts. He wanted them to know Christ. We, we don't treat people as commodities. We sacrifice in order for them to come to know Christ. When we're thinking about the appropriate mindset of self whenever we're around people, it's sacrifice. Um, we want their hearts, not their stuff. So don't, don't think of people as how they can serve you and what they can give you. Think about how you can serve them and how you can preach the gospel to them to change their minds or how you can bless them. So let's just, uh, application as we look at this part where Paul says, uh, in verse 14, I seek not what is yours, but you. Who is it around you that, you're th- that you have that mindset towards right now? Whose heart do you want? Who is it that you want to meet Jesus? Who is it that you don't want their stuff? You want them. Hopefully you don't want anybody's stuff. Uh, but who is it that uh, you want them to come to know Christ? Think about who it is right now. If you don't have anybody, ask the Lord right now to give you of someone in your head. But if you are thinking of someone right now, write their name down or type it in your phone. Text yourself a message, like send it just to yourself. So you have them in your head and you've kind of held yourself accountable now. This is the person I'm thinking about, that I'm going to uh, reach and be self-sacrificial so that they'll come to know Christ. And then lastly, you can see it in verse 15 where he says, um, I will most gladly, here it is, spend and be spent for your souls. I will most gladly spend and be spent. This is just the last little illustration of sacrifice. When we're thinking about the way we operate within our mind, towards others, and before the Lord, we are to be sacrificial. And the fourth illustration of that is spend and be spent for other souls. Spend your money, spend your time, spend your health for other people to meet Jesus. Spend your money, spend your time, spend your health for other people to meet Jesus. Notice what Paul says, I will most gladly do this. Before he says he's going to spend and be spent, he even says I'm going to do it most gladly. For him, this is something that is a joy. Garland says, a true apostle of the crucified Christ is one who who is willingly to spend and be spent on behalf of of a congregation. He serves at great cost to himself and for the benefit of others. So if this is your church, this is where you go, you should be willing to be spent and spend for the people in your church. That sacrifice. You're willing to give your time and your money and even perhaps um, your health. So application is this. Be willing to spend your life, your time, your money for the benefit of others to meet Jesus. Perhaps a point of repentance right now is that you need to bring before the Lord. This is something that you're well aware that you don't do. 
You should confess, you should repent, and the Lord is gracious and abounding to forgive you. But you should spend and be spent for your church family. Think about the, how, how much the Lord wants to use your t- more of your time uh, to use here for your church people. Um, and not just uh, the things that we like to do. That's the first uh, section. So as that first section, the first environment and the first grouping is self. And the key theme is sacrifice. Now, the next grouping, we're kind of taking it from concentric circles out. Uh, we're the, the next little grouping that he's going to show is ministry partners. So within your ministry partners. So what does that mean for you? Um, hopefully, you're thinking, my ministry partners are my community group. Now, I want you to think of your community group as your friends. They are your friends. Hopefully, they're your friends. But I don't want them to only be your friends. I want them to also, for you to think of them as your ministry partners. The reason why is because at, at Remedy Church, each community group picks an outreach, and so we have those people in our community group to do ministry with. So everybody that's in your community group is your ministry partner. Um, not just your spouse, which, who is definitely a ministry partner, um, not just your children, but also everybody in your community group. They're your ministry partners. So what you're thinking right now is, as we're going through this section, what should the temperament or the mindset or the goal of me and my community group, my community group and I, what is it that, that we should have? What's the correct temperament or mindset or goal that we as a community group should have? And those three things are, Stewardship, faithfulness, and honesty. Stewardship, faithfulness, and honesty. Within your community group, within your ministry partners, there should be stewardship, there should be faithfulness, and there should be honesty. And you'll see those three things right here. Um, The first one is stewardship. Go back to verse 12. Notice this. The signs of a true apostle were... so. Paul's uh, all along throughout the New Testament, over and over making an argument that he is a true apostle. He is just like, um, as status level goes, the 12 disciples. He is a, he is a true apostle. And look what he has. So he's got serious giftings. <clears throat> serious giftings. The signs of a true apostle were, there it is, performed among you. They were performed among you. This, this is a very elementary truth. All right, but Paul had giftings, and what did he do? He performed them. <laughs> he didn't have the giftings and do nothing. He had the giftings, and he actually used them. That's stewardship. So within your ministry partners, you should, every one of you have gifts. You should steward those gifts. God gave them to you for a unique purpose, and the reason why I said, if you look at the whole of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, 1 Corinthians, not 2, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, the reason why you have spiritual gifts is so that you can build other people up, that you can edify the church. Your gifts are not given you primarily for your own spiritual edification, though that happens. Your gifts are given you primarily for other Christians in the church to be built up. And what does Paul do? He uses them. He stewards them. The, when he says the signs of a true apostle were literally performed among you. Simply put, Paul used his gifts and he stored them. What are your gifts? Are you using them? If not, why not? What are your gifts? Are you using them? If not, why not? That's stewardship. 
every person here that's a believer has them. So within your ministry partner, that's your community group or whatever, you know, if you're not at Remedy, are you stewarding your gifts? Are you stewarding your gifts? And I would just say this. Uh, the coronavirus is not a reason to not use your gifts. There's Zoom and technology today. It's amazing. You can still see people all the time. FaceTime, Google Meet, whatever the other ones are. I don't know them all, right? But corona is not like God doesn't want me to use my gifts for six months because there's a worldwide pandemic. Yes, he does. The pandemic didn't take God by surprise. He knew it was coming, and all these truths still apply. So he still wants us to use our gifts. Um, use our gifts. Steward your gifts even right now, and especially after corona. But during COVID, um, use your gifts. Be obedient at all times. That's the first one. Second one, uh, if you keep reading in verse 12, um, the signs of the true apostle performed among you, here it is, with utmost patience, with utmost patience. This is showing uh, perseverance. This is showing perseverance, faithfulness. I said stewardship, faithfulness. This, this is showing the perseverance or the faithfulness is key in ministry. Whenever ministry gets tough, it's really easy to pop up the deuces and say, I'm out of here. Like, that's not, that's not how it's supposed to work. Ministry is tough. It's, it's very tough. It's going to always be tough. It wasn't designed for us to have uh, this easy, nice little ministry the whole time, and, it, and everything goes well. It's always tough. Romans 5, 3 says, knowing suffering produces endurance. If you know what suffering feels like, it produces endurance in our lives. And so, um, within your ministry partners, as Paul says, we're supposed to have utmost patience. This utmost patience or perseverance is a mark of a good minister. Paul wrote this text, and of course it's true, because Paul had actually endured much suffering at the hands of the false apostles. And it didn't cause him to turn away from Christ. It didn't cause him to turn away from Corinth. Quite the contrary, he turned to Christ and endured in great love for the Corinthians. And so God's servants must continue to do ministry as the Lord's called them. We must endure to the end. We need to, as, uh, maybe this way, you need to Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the city. We got to go great commission the city. Endure to the end, no matter how difficult it is. So stewardship, faithfulness. Within your ministry partners, be faithful. Be there constantly, as much as it might be. Endure it, with, as he says, with utmost patience. Lastly, is uh, stewardship, faithfulness, and honesty. Within your community group, your ministry partners, there needs to be honesty. Uh, and this is kind of a long explanation to get to a, a, this truth, but if you look at 16b through 18, you kind of see this series of rhetorical questions where all the answers are clearly no, showing that Paul's honest. So, um, I was crafty, you say. I got the better of you by deceit. Uh, did I take advantage of you through any of those I sent you? No. I urged Titus to go and sent the brothers with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? No. Uh, do we not act in the same spirit? Do we not take the same steps? Yeah, we did those things. Like, it's, it's clear that we weren't dishonest. And he mentions Titus to help them because they all knew Titus was a really honest guy. The, the, the false apostles had said, you know why Paul's taking up that offering? You know what he's doing? He's just, he's just taking it up for himself. He's not, he's not taking it down to Jerusalem. Uh, He's taking it up for himself, and he's keeping it for himself, impugning Paul's character. And so he's mentioning Titus, saying, I, Titus came and helped me with this. Like, 
he's a man of character. I'm an honest guy. I didn't, I didn't uh, say something that was dishonest. That's a lot of ac- ap- application to get to the clear point. But within the ministry partners and before the church, Paul was honest, Titus was honest, they all were honest. And so Christ commands us to be truth tellers. Christ commands us to be truth tellers. We need to be honest within our groups, honest with each other. Um, and he was. That's the second one. So we've talked about self and we've talked about ministry partners. Now we're going to move out broader to the whole church. Broader to the whole church. And Paul only gives one little sentence towards it, but I want to make sure we see it. If you go down to verse 19, it's towards the end of 19. Uh, I'll read the whole thing, but it's really the last little section. Have, um, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? Is it in the sight of God that we've been speaking in Christ? And here it is. And all for your upbuilding, beloved. All for your upbuilding, beloved. So the third group that Paul is addressing here is the church at large, the whole church. Um, and the appropriate uh, temperament or goal is the, or the, the mindset and goal that he wants the entire church to have towards each other is upbuilding. You can see it in the, right there in the text in verse 19. It is for your upbuilding, beloved. For your upbuilding. So what you should think about whenever you are interacting with people in your church uh, day in, day out, week in, week out, is that you want them to be built up. Paul mentions this also in uh, chapter 10, verse 8. He said, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for your upbuilding, for building you up, not destroying you. So Paul's saying, I, I was given gifts for your upbuilding. And Corinthian church, all of us should approach each other with the idea of building each other up. This is how we should all desire, whenever we're around each other, to have happen. Um, Paul Barnett says it's for the strengthening and understanding of character in Christ. So if you're saying, what does it mean for me to build up the people in the church? What does that mean? If I'm tasked as a member of the church to help build up other people in the church, what am I doing? What does it mean to build them up? It means to strengthen their understanding in Christ and build up uh, their, their understanding of the gospel or their character in Christ. So you want to help them grow as a believer in Christ. So you can just look, how has Paul done that? Just as he's, in just the letter, just, just the letter, not even what we have as he interact with them, but in just the letter, in, in chapter 5, he built them up by unpacking the gospel for them. In chapter 5, 17 through 21, in a really explicit way, helping them see that Christ, um, he made him who knew no sin so that he might become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Like, this is what Christ has done for us. God put him forward as our propitiation so that now all of the wrath of God is put on him. So he reminds them of who they are in Christ. Another way that he built them up is this major challenge in chapter 8 and 9 to trust God financially. So give out of your abundance, just like the Macedonians, and let's see how it blesses those over in Jerusalem. Those, that's just to name a few. But that's, that's the way that you can upbuild the church. You can remind them of the gospel. You can read the Bible with them and, and grow them in their understanding of theology. You can talk about uh, things you don't understand from the Bible. You can challenge them. They can challenge you. Hey, I, let's memorize this particular set of verses together. Let's do this. There's all kinds of ways that you can do that. As a matter of fact, um, all of you that are here, you can uh, get a head start in uh, as soon as we finish 2 Corinthians, um, this is not in my notes, so I'm going to make sure I, I don't go on a big rabbit trail. I'm on a rabbit trail saying I'm not going on a rabbit trail, but here we go. Uh, 
Second, after we finish 2 Corinthians, we're going to do a short uh, sermon series on community mission and care for the glory of God. Just reminding everybody of the mission of the church. Community mission and care for the glory of God. Right after that, we're going to do the book of Colossians. As we start the book of Colossians, we're going to all as a church memorize the Christ hymn. That's Colossians 1, 15 through 20, the Christ hymn. Um, and, and we're going to say it every Sunday at the beginning of the service. The same way that we recite the Great Commission, we're going to start reciting the, the Christ hymn, and we're all going to memorize the Christ hymn during the entire time that we're going through Colossians. So go for it now. Have it done by the end of Sunday. All right. But my point is that you can build each other up with that. Like, hey, you want to memorize the Christ hymn with me? Let's do it. And then every time you see each other, you do, do verse 15, and then you do verse 16, you do verse 17. You're building each other up. This is just to name a few, but the point is, who in the church can you build up? Who are the people around you that you can come by and build them up in Christ, build them up in the Word, meet with them to discuss the book of John or Ephesians or Genesis or whatever you want? Um, that's the third one. The appropriate group or the, the environment of the grouping is the church, and the appropriate goal is upbuilding, is upbuilding. The next one is uh, the Lord. So, if you go to verse 19, if you go to verse 19, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? Here it is. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. So this is talking about how you and the Lord, in the sight of God, how you are, whenever you're doing your devotions, whenever you're reading the Bible, whenever it's just you and you're, you're praying, you're in this environment, if you will, grouping of you and the Lord. This is you and Jesus time, right? What's the appropriate mindset for that? And the appropriate mindset or the appropriate temperament that you should have is reverence. The appropriate mindset that you should have is reverence. When he says, it is, verse 19, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. Uh, there's this Latin phrase, corum Deo. This means before the face of God. And the idea is, uh, when, they, when they said this, is that all of us are always living life, every day, at every moment, at every second, corum Deo, before the face of God. There's not a moment where you and I are not constantly before the sight of the Lord. Not only does He know everything that we did, or that we're thinking, or that we're going to do, He knows why, and He knows better than we do. There's nothing that we can do that escapes His sight. J-Mac says, God is the only audience the faithful preacher is concerned about. The appropriate temperament that we should have is reverence before the Lord. Um, because we constantly live our lives in the sight of God. We are absolutely concerned about our fellow man, right? But the most concern that we have is before the Lord. And this, of course, as I said, doesn't mean we're not concerned about other people. It just means that God's the most important. We shape our entire life around the Lord. And since our life is lived before the face of God, it means we should constantly live our lives with the, de um, the dedication and mindset to have absolute reverence before Him. He deserves all of our, all of our worship and all, all of the glory. The fifth one. This is fellow believers. This is just fellow believers. So uh, this includes not just your church and not just your ministry partners community group this includes believers all over the world that 
Whenever you go to work and you meet somebody and you start, somebody says, you know what, today I'm blessed. And you're like, you use the word blessed. She used the word blessed. I bet that, that's kind of like Christian code. Like, I bet you're a Christian. Hey, you go to church somewhere? I do go to church. Me too. We're Christians. Hey, that's awesome. And so you meet, we, we meet people, right? And then you, you feel like in 10 minutes you're closer to them than you were the, the non-Christian that you've known for 10 years. Um, my point is this. Like, there's, there's fellow believers all around. Also in the church, also in the church. And so this fifth grouping, this fifth environment is how we interact with fellow believers in the church, out, out the side of the church, um, whenever we're around them. What's the appropriate temperament, mindset, goal that we should have whenever we're around them? And that's pursuing sanctification, that we should want to pursue sanctification with them. And of course, sanctification is um, the process of becoming more like Christ. After justification, before glorification, when we go to heaven, after we're saved, before we go to heaven, we, we live for 20, 30, 40 years, 20, 30, 40 minutes, whatever the Lord gives us, right? That, that time that we have, we are to become more like Christ. We're, we're pursuing sanctification. And so Paul, in verses 20 and 21, is going to give this pretty big, extensive list of things that we would not want in our life. This is uh, a list of stuff that, there's more, right? There's more but a list that whenever we're pursuing sanctification, we can hold each other accountable with. Notice all the things that he says, starting in verse 20. Quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, disorder. If you go down to the very end of verse 21, impurity, sexual morality, and sensuality. Those are all of the uh, sins that Paul lists here. Uh, These are things, it's an enormous list, but the point is that um, Paul... Paul's saying, I'm hoping that when I come here, I don't see these things. Um, but I might. But if I do see them, notice what he, what he says. Uh, I fear that when I come again, God may humble me before you, or that you may have to mourn over those who sinned earlier and have not repented. So he, he tells us what it is that we're to do. If, if we see these things in our lives, or we see these things in the fellow lives of our believers, um, our friends that are believers, then we go to them and we say, hey, this is in your life. God doesn't want this. And we beckon them or we, we, we ask them, hey, the Lord wants you to repent from this. And you should feel the same to say that to me. If you see these things in my life, you should come to me and say, hey, you should repent of this. Um, but in this list, he's already told us what should happen. It's repent. It's confess of your sin and turn from that sin to back to Christ. And so you may say, hey, those kinds of things in my life, those are personal. Those aren't things that I want really people bothering me about. I, I have my, my things, and I know what they are, and they're between me and God and nobody else. And while you do have a personal salvation, um, your salvation is personal. It's not supposed to be private. Uh, your walk before the Lord is supposed to be in the context of other believers in a church. Or other, if other believers see it, they are free to and should be free to tell you. Now, I know you've got to know them some. It's not like we just met and let me point out these sins because it's not likely not going to go well. But um, God has given us the church and he's given us fellow believers that he wants us to walk beside. And as we walk beside, we can hold each other accountable with ongoing sins. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, Confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. This is biblical. This is biblical. Um, who could that be? Who's probably the best person? If you come to Remedy, the best person is somebody in your community group. Somebody in your community group, same gender, uh, is the person that you should have as your, as your accountability partner. 
This is just one of tons of verses that helps us see that our sanctification is something that we can mutually pursue together. If you're married, of course, your spouse is going to hold you accountable. Mine holds me accountable all the time, all the time. Fud, what about this? Fud, what about that? You're right, you're right, you're right. Dang it. Ugh. But um, you should also have an accountability partner in your community group. That's the, that's the most logical place. If it's not, it's fine. Um, but who is it that's around you that's pursuing sanctification with you? I would say, don't put this off. This is maybe one of the most important things you, you could have in your life. Think about somebody right now, start in your community group and then go to the church. Who is it right now in your life that you could say, I want to invite you into my life for the next little season that we can peer into each other's lives and hold each other accountable. I can tell you what's going on in my life, and you can pray for me. You can tell me what's going on in your life, and I can pray for you. And we can, we can pursue Christ and His holiness together. It's imperative that we have someone around. And the prescription is given to us. When we see it, we repent. Whenever we see it in each other's lives, we repent. Now, all of these mindsets, all of these things, sacrifice, stewardship, faithfulness, honesty, reverence, edification, all these things are, are uh, daunting when we think about, oh man, I got to do all these things. When I got to do all these things. Let me just stop and help us realize the sermon as we've been looking at it are a lot of applications for things for us to do. And we don't want to um, confuse that whenever we have a, a sermon text that tells us, hey, these are things that should happen in your life. These are things that are happening in your life. We don't want to confuse things and say, that's what God expects me to do now is go do stuff. In one sense, okay. But we don't want to confuse um, commands with gospel. So the gospel is what Christ has done. The gospel is because Christ has done these things, we are absolutely forgiven in Christ, considered blameless, reckoned righteous, counted as holy. And now because of that, when I look at all these things, I'm not doing these things in order to have a right relationship with Jesus so he'll be more happy with me now, finally. The gospel is, I already have that in Christ. And now I want to live out this kind of commands of God out of worship for God. And so as you hear those things, don't ever project it onto yourself or to others that commands mean right relationship with God. That's law. Law does not lead to life. Gospel leads to life, unless you can keep it perfectly. <laughs> Nobody can do that. So we want to make sure that we remind ourselves of the gospel. And so here's the key. Sacrifice, stewardship, faithfulness, honesty, edification, reverence, all those things. Jesus has done those things for you. Jesus, this is the good news. Jesus has already done all of these for us in his life and his death. For us, The gospel is that while we hear these things that we're told in the Bible to do, the truth is that we must be clear, doing those things does not save us. We're only saved by what Christ has done. We're only saved by what Christ has done because of the good news of Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection for us on our behalf. We're counted righteous in Christ. This is the key of the way you live your life. Remind yourself of this every day. Remind yourself, preach this good news to yourself every moment. If um, following Christ in sanctification is becoming an overbearing weight that you cannot handle, you need to stop and gospel yourself. You are thinking that 
it's all up to you and it's not. It's all up to what Christ has done because of his sacrifice, because of his stewardship, because of his faithfulness, because of his all those things for us. We can now pursue these things. Amen. Amen. Don't ever confuse law and gospel. The gospel is good news of what Christ has done. The commands are what we do in light of the fact that Christ has already completely saved us. Amen. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And as we think about how we interact with people and has, how we live our lives before people, I thank you that you've given us, not just in this text, but all over your Bible, but in this text, um, examples of what that looks like. And so that we know, um, as we look at it, as we read it, we can know how to interact with each other. We can know how to be good community group uh, members. We can know how to walk before you. We can know how to hold others accountable. Um, We can know what the purpose of us being in the church and using our gifts are. And so I pray for us all, Lord, that we would put these things into practice. Uh, and that you would build up our church and that we would, um, we would really reach this city for the, for the gospel, for you, for your glory. Um, I pray, God, that as we close up 2 Corinthians next week um, and we have this enhanced understanding of, the, of, this, of this letter um, and what it means to have disputes with each other and still be reconciled and that you are the God of all comfort and you challenged us when it comes to Um, being generous and you've even with this text closed and you will close next week in 13.5 to test ourselves to know that we're in the faith that we would know for sure that we are Christ's that for those that don't know you here that they would put their faith and trust in you those that do Lord they would rejoice in this good news we love you we pray this in Jesus name amen